Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number one, and uh, we are starting a brand new book of the Bible. I'm always excited when we start a uh, new book of the Bible and uh, begin to work through it. And uh, I love Wednesday night services because we get to just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, try to uh, learn the Bible together and learn the Word of God together. And uh, we can just take our time and, and learn and study it. And I would encourage you, uh, since you're here on the first Wednesday night of Ephesians, to just make a commitment to be here for every Wednesday night of the book of Ephesians and, and learn it together. And uh, we're starting here in Ephesians chapter number one. And just by way of introduction, let me explain something, because we've spent, the last time we were in a book of the Bible studying it together, we were in Ezekiel, and that was kind of a different a, a, a different beast, you know. The book of Ezekiel is a long book, and it's a very complicated book. We're going to do Ephesians differently. With Ezekiel, we went one chapter a week, there's 48 chapters, and we're just uh, hitting it hard and, and trying to get through it. With Ephesians, we're going to take our time, and we're not going to spend more time than we need to, but uh, we're going to go ahead and break, the, break it down a little bit and, and try to help you understand it. And what you need to understand about the letters of the Apostle Paul and the epistles the Apostle Paul wrote is that his letters are generally uh, written in two parts. You'll find this this is true in, in, in his letters in Romans, in Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, generally, they are written in two parts. And the first part of the book will have, or the letter, will be heavy on theology. And if you think about the book of Romans, Romans is like that. You get up to like the first nine chapters, and there's just a lot of doctrine. And Ephesians is like that as well. The first part of it is going to be heavy on theology, there's a lot of deep thoughts. Paul's a very deep thinker. So we're going to take our time and kind of try to help you understand what he's talking about. And then the second part of the book is usually heavy on application. You find that with Romans. You find that uh, with Ephesians. You find that with a lot of his books. And Ephesians, you know, towards the end of the chapter, we're talking about marriage. And we're talking about childbearing. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And he's giving you a lot of practical applications and things like that. So we're going to dig into this and just kind of realize that at the beginning, there's going to be some thoughts here and some ideas. And uh, we'll just uh, walk through uh, as many verses as chapters we are able to get through tonight. We'll probably get through about half of it tonight. If you're there in Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 1. And I want you to notice, first of all, the introduction. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I want to just begin by explaining why it is that Paul uh, seems like he's always using these, this, time of, this type of greeting, or often he's using this greeting where he makes sure to show himself as an apostle or to show the fact that he is an apostle. And he always talks about the fact that he's an apostle by the will of God or not by the will of man. And the reason for that, and go ahead and keep your place here in Ephesians, that's obviously our text uh, for tonight. But go through the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And um, notice verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Am I not, and this is Paul speaking, of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at verse 1. He says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? He says, If I be not an apostle unto others... Yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. And then he says this in verse 3, Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. And then he goes on to, to, to give some arguments. But I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul had this thing in his ministry where his apostleship was constantly being questioned because of the fact that he 
came in late to the game. If you remember, Jesus had already ascended uh, when the Apostle Paul was called into ministry. In fact, Jesus appeared to him on the road of Damascus, but he was not with the other apostles at the baptism of John, and he was not with the, uh, Jesus during the actual uh, ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, some people attacked Paul and would attack and question his apostleship. And that's why he's using the, this terminology. He's defending himself. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? He says, if I be not an apostle unto others, he says, if other people don't want to acknowledge me as an apostle, yet doubtless I am to you. And of course, he's saying that to the church at Corinth because he started uh, the church there. He says, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. And then he says, mine answers to them that do examine me is this. And the point is this, that people were examining him. They were questioning him. They were uh, attacking his credentials, if you will. So you'll notice that the Apostle Paul begins his letters by always defending his apostleship. We saw it there in Ephesians 1. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Notice there in 1 Corinthians 1. Go look at verse number 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1, he says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse number 1. He says, Paul, notice what he says, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So notice he says, I was called to be an apostle through the will of God. And it's just kind of an interesting uh, thing, and I want you to understand this as we, as you study the Bible and as you learn the Bible, is that this is why you see Paul using this terminology, because his uh, apostleship was often under attack. And you don't have to go here. In fact, I'd like you to go back to Ephesians if you would. Uh, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians, because we're going to come back to it. So keep your place in 1 Corinthians and go, to, uh, go back to uh, Ephesians. But I'll read for you just some of the introductions in some of the books of the Apostle Paul. In Romans 1.1, he says, Paul, an apostle, and he says, called to be an apostle. In 2 Corinthians 1.1, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In 2 Corinthians 12.12, he says, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. In Galatians 1.1, he says, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. In Colossians 1.1, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In 1 Timothy 1.1, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 1.1, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So you may notice that as you read the epistles of the apostle Paul, where he will uh, introduce himself and then he'll give some sort of a justification for why he's referring to himself, himself as an apostle, as the will of God or the commandment of God, not of man, neither by man. And that the reason for that that is because his apostleship was questioned and his apostleship uh, was under attack. Are you there back in Ephesians 1? Look at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And then he says this. He says, to the saints. And I'm just pointing this out for you just kind of by way of introduction. We're going to get into the text here in a minute. But I want you to note he says, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's writing this church. He's writing uh, uh, to this church at Ephesus. And these are believers. These are Christians. But he calls them the saints. He says, to the saints which are at Ephesus. And if you would, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you wouldn't uh, mind doing that, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 
And uh, look at verse number two. And, and here's why I want to show you this is because today uh, there's a belief system out there, a doctrine out there that is put out by the Roman Catholic Church. But there are even so-called Christians who believe this now. And they'll say that uh, a saint is like a special Christian. It's a Christian that, you know, endured unto the end and they lived a faithful life and they uh, did all these things. And then they're, they're like a special Christian, they're like better than everybody else. And we can put their picture on a candle, and we can light the candle, and we can pray to them. But this is not what the Bible teaches. And here's what you need to understand. As Bible-believing Christians and as Baptists, we must allow the Bible to be our authority in all matters of faith and practice. And the Bible, and, and so when a question is asked, what's a saint? You may think, well, what's the big deal? Who cares what a saint is? But we need to ask this question. What does the Bible say a saint is? And here in Ephesians, you have Paul. He's writing his letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says, to the saints which are at Ephesus. So he's saying, look, there are saints in Ephesus, and he says, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, what is a saint? Why are you there in 1 Corinthians 1? Look at verse 2. We actually looked at verse 1 already where we saw... Paul giving his uh, introduction and defending his apostleship. Then in verse 2, he says this, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So notice he's writing a local congregation in Corinth, the Corinthian church. He says, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, notice what he says, called to be saints. So he says, I'm writing to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, those that are of the church of God, which is at Corinth. They're called to be saints. And he's talking about saints in Corinth, just like he was talking about saints in Ephesus. But then he says this, with all that. So he says, there are saints in Corinth, and they're called to be saints. And he says, and they're not just only called to be saints, they're called to be saints with all that, he says, or alongside all that, alongside everyone else that, notice, in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So according to 1 Corinthians 1-2, what is a saint, or how does somebody become a saint? And the Bible says that they're called to be saints with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ. So according to this verse, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ is a saint. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ is considered a saint or called to be a saint. Now, why is that important? Go, go to Romans chapter number 10. You're there in First Corinthians, just go flip one book back to Romans, Romans chapter number 10. And here's why this is important, because of the fact that the way you get saved is by calling upon the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says this, For whosoever, for whosoever, this means anybody, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And of course we understand that with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe on Him, you have faith in Him, and then in faith you call upon Him to save you. But here it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's what I'm trying to explain to you. The Bible does not teach that a saint is just, you know, some special guy, some special lady who did great things, and now we can pray to them, and now we can hold them in admiration. The Bible teaches that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord is a, is a saint. So who are the saints? It's all believers. If, if I wrote a church, a letter to Verity Baptist Church, I could say to all the saints that are in Sacramento, California, that are in at Verity Baptist Church, because this, this uh, room is filled with a bunch of saints. If you've called upon Christ to save you, you are a saint. And let me prove it to you even further. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're there in Romans? Just go back to 1 Corinthians if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
And let me prove it to you even further that a saint is not someone who is like a special type of Christian. In fact, Paul says that even the least are saints. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. There any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Now, I want you to understand, the main context of this passage is Paul is rebuking the fact that there are Christians that are taking each other to court, and they are literally, you know, suing each other and going to court. But notice what he says. There any of you, having a matter against another, he says, go to law before the unjust. He says, you're going to law before the unsaved and not before the saints. So notice, he was fully expecting that they should be able to take their problems to the saints. Verse 2, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? He says, why aren't you going to the saints? Don't you know that the saints are going to judge the world? And if the world shall be judged, notice what he says, by you. Now hold on, Paul. You just said that the world's going to be judged by the saints. Now you're telling them that the world's going to be judged by, by them. Why are you saying that? Because they are the saints. Because the saints are anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. He says, And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, notice what he says, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He's saying, look, you would be better off setting the least esteemed, the newest Christian, the most novice Christian, the, the guy who knows the least about uh, the Bible, you'd be better off set, uh, put, putting the least esteemed in the church to judge over you than going to some unjust judge, than going to some unsaved judge. He said, you would be better to put the least esteemed in the church, but he's saying, because you should go to the saints. And here's what he's saying, even the least esteemed is a saint. So the saints, so look, the Catholic teaching of saintship and the fact that, you know, they'll have some pope or they'll have some nun or whatever who uh, they think is some great uh, Christian. And they'll say, oh, we're going to make her a saint. No, you know what? We're all saints if we call upon Jesus in faith. If we're saved, we are saints. And you say, well, uh, yeah, but uh, we're not very saintly. You're right. <laughs> but here's the thing. You don't get saved based on the way you live your life. And, and actually, it's important to the aspect of what the Apostle Paul is going to develop here in this passage. So I want you to understand that in the eyes of the Lord, our position is a position of saints. Ephesians 1, if you would go back to it. All that was kind of just by way of introduction. Let me get into the two main points. And like I said, we're only going to go halfway through the chapter tonight. Uh, we'll get up to verse 11, and then we'll do the rest of the chapter uh, next week. But I want you to notice that there are two... In this chapter, the Apostle Paul develops three different ideas. He develops the position of the Father, he develops the performance of the Son, and he develops the purpose of the Spirit. Tonight we're going to get through the first two, the position of the Father and the performance of the Son. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 2. And we're just going to walk through these verses, and I'll try to help you understand them. Verse 2, Grace be to you and peace. Now notice what he says. He says, from God, and then he says this, our Father. And if you don't mind underlining or writing in your Bible, I would underline that word, our Father, or under or circle that word, our Father. He says, grace be to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this, blessed be the God and Father of 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, he says, God is our Father, and then he says, God and Father of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now, keep your place here in Ephesians. Go to the book of Hebrews, if you would. If you start at the end of the Bible, and you head backwards, you have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter, James, and uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 1. And uh, look at verse number 1. Hebrews chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Let me just say this. God is not only our God, but he is also our Father. When we got saved, we entered into this relationship with God where we were adopted into the family of God. And now we can cry, Abba, Father. We can call him Father. We can go to him as Father. God is not only our God. He is our Father. But God is also the God and Father of Jesus as well. That's what we just read in Ephesians uh, 1, 2, and 3, right? He says, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is our God, and he is our Father. And then he is also the God of Jesus and the Father of Jesus, because he says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, please understand this, has a God, and it's God the Father. He, God is the, fa- is the God of Jesus, and he's the Father of Jesus. And, and, and I want you to understand this, even though Jesus is God, and in the Bible you find this concept throughout the Bible where The Father is referred to as God, and then Jesus is referred to as God, and Jesus is even referred to as God by the Father. Now, we just saw in Ephesians 1-3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you where God refers to the Son as God. Hebrews 1-1, are you there? Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. God. It just says God. And let me just say this, and and it will become clear in a minute. Whenever the Bible refers to just God in general, uh, usually you're safe to assume that it's referring to God the Father or the first person of the Godhead, God. And he says, God, who at sundry times, the word sundry just means in different types of ways. He says at sundry times and in diverse manners. Diverse manners means in different types of ways. Just two different ways of saying the same thing. He says, God, who at sundry times... In, in different times and in diverse manners, in different ways, spake. Now, who spake? God spake. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake. Notice, how did, he, how did he speak before? In time past unto the fathers by the prophets. This is talking about inspiration, right? We talked about it on Sunday night, talked about it last Wednesday night. God, at sundry times, at different times, in diverse manners, in different ways, God spake unto the fathers by the prophets. Notice verse 2. Hath in these last days. Who has in these last days? God. God, he says, in time past spake unto the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. By whose son? God's son. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you read God, it's God the Father. And generally speaking, when, you, when we talk about God in the Bible, we're talking about 
the, per, the God the Father, the first person the Godhead, uh, and that's not all, all the time, but generally speaking, you'll find that to be true. Notice what he says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he, God, hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he. Now I want you to notice the whom there is referring to the Son. Because it's the Father, he's doing it by whom also he. Who's the he there? God made the world. So God the Father made the world through his Son. And we had both members of the Godhead. He actually had all, all three members of the Godhead it, in the creation uh, story, in the creation account. So I want you to notice the context is God who spake in times past by the fathers, God who hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, um, whom he uh, appointed heir of all things, and who he used to make the world. Notice verse 8. Skip down to verse 8. But unto the Son he saith. Unto the Son who saith? God. Unto the Son, God the Father saith. Notice what God the Father says to the Son. He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. You say, wait a minute. We just read in Ephesians 2 that God, the, God, God our Father, God the Father, He's our Father, and He's God the Father of Jesus Christ as well. But here we have God the Father. We know it's God the Father because it's the God who uh, spoke to us by His Son. Now that God is referring to His Son as God. You say, what is this? Here's what it is. It's the Trinity. It is the fact that the Bible teaches that there is one God. You say, oh, do you, you, do you believe in multiple gods? No, there is one God, but that one God exists in three persons. And that is the belief of the, uh, the Trinity, the fact that there are three persons in the Godhead who are the Godhead. It's one God in three persons. And this is why the Bible says, refers to the Father as God, refers to the Son as God, refers to the Holy Spirit as God, because there's one God that exists in three persons. So we begin by looking at this position of the Father. The position of the Father is this, that He is God, and He is God our Father, but He's also the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's what you need to understand, and go back to Ephesians if you would. Keep your place there in Hebrews, because we're going to come back to it. Uh, you can lose your place in 1 Corinthians, but keep your place in Hebrews, we're going to come back to it. In, in the Godhead, there is a uh, 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 order in the Godhead, there is a ranking system, and that's why we refer to God the Father as the first person of the Godhead, and he outranks the Lord Jesus Christ, who is just as much God. So this is why the Bible says that he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we saw in Hebrews where God the Father refers to the Son as God. He says, he says thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So I want you to notice, first of all, the position of the Father. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, the performance of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, this is what he really wants to get to and what he begins to develop, is what it is that the Son does for us to bring us or reconcile us to his Father. Ephesians 1, look at verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. According as he. Now the he there is God the Father. According as he, notice what it says, hath chosen us. I want you to notice what the Bible teaches here, because in, in Ephesians, he, the Apostle Paul deals with this idea a lot, 
of being elect, predestinated, chosen. And Calvinists, they love these chapters because it's, they, they talk about predestination and ordination and we've been ordained. So I want to really take the time to develop this and break this down so we can understand what it is that uh, the Apostle Paul is teaching. Notice what he says in verse 4. According as he, God the Father, hath chosen us. But I want you to notice these words. In him. In who? In Christ. In Jesus. Notice, before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God chose you and God chose me. He chose us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice verse 5. Having predestinated. You see that word predestinated? The word predestinate means to foreordain or to predetermine. Notice, us unto the adoption of children. So he preordained, he predestinated, he foreordained us unto the adoption of children, notice, by Jesus Christ. So how did we become adopted into the household of God? By Jesus Christ, he ordained us, he adopted us by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So we became accepted in the household of God. We became accepted in the beloved of God. You say, well, what is this teaching? What is this teaching? Here's what the Bible is teaching. It is teaching that predestination, predestination or the doctrine of predestination in the Bible is that God pre-chose to adopt anyone who's in Christ. Christ, God, before the foundation of the world, See, we, we don't believe in a God, the God of the, of the dispensationalists. The God of the dispensationalists, uh, he doesn't know what's going on. He has no clue. He tries one thing and that fails. He tries a new dispensation and that fails. He tries another dispensation and that fails. He tries another. No, look, the Bible says that God knows the beginning from the end. God already knew Adam was going to fall before he created Adam. God already knew Eve was going to sin before he created Eve. God already knew how it was all going to play out. And look, his love, in his love, he still chose to create us. And before the foundation of the world, here's what God chose. He chose us in him. He chose us in Christ. He said, anyone who's in Christ, I have chosen, I have preordained, I have foreordained, I have predetermined that they will be adopted into the household of God and they will be accepted in the beloved. Now, here's what Calvinists teach. Calvinists teach that predestination is that some people can't get saved. That they teach that God chose some people and God uh, did not choose other people. That God predestinated some people to be saved and he did not predestinate others to be saved. Calvinists basically teach that everyone is a reprobate, rejected and without hope of salvation, unless God chooses to undo them. Here's the problem with that. We just read that God says, anyone who's in Christ, I've chosen. Anyone who's in Christ, I've adopted. Anyone who's in Christ. So here's the question. Who can be in Christ? Well, how about this? Why don't we ask Christ? Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and verse 32. Notice what the Bible says. Notice what Jesus said. And there's lots of verses to prove this. I'm just going to show you a few. 
John chapter 12 and verse 32. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 12, 32. And I realize, you know, maybe it's a little uh, deeper tonight or, or, you know, not as uh, uh, dynamic or, you know, talking about sins or whatever. But, you know, we're, we're, it's Bible study night, number one. And number two, we need to not be carried about with every wind of doctrine. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Notice what Jesus said, John 12, 32. Because here, here's what we just read in Ephesians. God said, I predestinated, I chose, I preordained, and Calvinists just love that. They're like, oh yeah, I was predestinated. You weren't, I was. I'm good, you're not. I'm great, he loves me, he doesn't love you. And, and, but here's what he says, if you look at it, he says, God said, I predestinated, I pre-chose anyone in Christ. And then here's what Christ says, John 12, 32. He says, and I, this is Jesus speaking, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth. Now notice, he's referring to his death. Look at verse 33. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Because of the fact that he was going to get nailed on a cross, and he was going to be lifted up from the earth, here's what he says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he says, will draw all men unto me. So here's what God the Father says. God the Father says, anyone who's in Christ, anyone who's in Christ, I will preordain, I will already write the, uh, the check, I will already sign the contract, I will already make the deal. If you're in Christ, I will adopt you, and I will make you accepted in the Beloved. And then Jesus says, hey, if I get lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Salvation is available for anyone, for everyone, anyone can come. So you say, well, well then, then how, how is it that uh, I was predestinated? Here, let me let you into a little, a little, secret, a little secret. You weren't. Amen. I'm not the elect. No, Jesus is the elect. Amen. I wasn't chosen. No, Jesus was chosen. I wasn't predestined. No, Jesus was predestinated. And anyone who believes in Jesus, anybody who calls upon Jesus, anybody who gets in Jesus can get into heaven because the only way you get into heaven is by being perfect and righteous and you're not it. You say, oh, I'm a saint. Not because of you. You're a saint because of Christ. If you're in Christ. Because Jesus says, look, I will draw all men unto me. He says, I, I want everyone to be. In fact, let's look at it. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you kept your place there in Hebrews, continue to keep your place in Hebrews. But from Hebrews, you go to James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus said it another way. He said this. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And I, I like to use this, this, uh, this example. What if, what if I just had an endless amount of money, and I just wanted to hire everyone. You know, I just said, forget the government, forget the government trying to help people, I'm going to try to help people, I have an endless amount of money, I have an endless amount of resources, I have an endless amount of jobs, and I'm just going to hire anyone and everyone. What if I put an ad in the newspaper? What if I pay people to go door to door, putting flyers on doors or knocking on doors, telling people, and I just tell people, hey, if you want a job, you can have it. You, anyone, everyone's accepted. No one will be rejected. All you have to do is come. And I invite just all, you know, millions of people in Sacramento. But, you know, a thousand show up, two thousand show up, five hundred thousand show up, whatever. And when they show up, I say, hey, you're hired. You're hired. You got it. You got it. You got it. Now, here's the thing. I already preordained. I already pre-chose. Anyone who wants to can have it. But they have to want to have it. 
Because there's going to be lots of people that are going to say, yeah, I'm not interested. And that's exactly what salvation is. God has already preordained. He says, anyone who's in Christ can be saved. And Jesus says, anyone that wants to can come to me. He says, anyone that wants to be saved can come. You say, well, then why would, so- why would somebody not go to heaven? It's not because they're a bad person, because here's the problem with that. We're all bad people. It's not that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell because there's none that do it good, no, not one. You say, who goes to heaven? Those who are in Christ. And you say, well, well, who wouldn't want that? Just go soul in with us, lots of people. I mean, we talk to people all the time. We say, hey, salvation's a free gift in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe in Christ, trust in Christ. Not your works, not your religion. And people all day, every day. No, I'll stay with my works. No, I'll stay with my religion. I think I got a better shot doing it myself. It's like, okay, go to hell if that's what you want. And I'm not saying that in like a rude way. I'm saying, if that's what you want, because anyone who's in Christ can be saved. Anyone can come into Christ. Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. Second Peter 3, 9, notice what he says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word notice, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look, God, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. In fact, he, he sent the Son to die on the cross to make salvation available for everyone, but He's not going to force it upon you. You have to choose to believe. You have to choose to call upon Christ in faith to save you. And if you choose to put your trust in Jesus, then you can go to heaven. But if you choose to say, nah, I think I'm going to get to it because of my catechism. Then, okay, go ahead and try I think I'm going to get to it because I live a good life, because I repent of my sins, because I, whatever, whatever your religion wants to do, because look, there's only two religions in the world, those who believe in faith alone, and those who believe in works. And when you add works to faith, it still works. So we see that Jesus will draw all men unto himself. Jesus says to everyone, hey, come. Whosoever, whosoever will may come. Go back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. So our predestination, our predestination is predestinated in Christ. Say, so, oh, I, I, I was chosen from the foundation of the world. No, Jesus was chosen from the foundation of the world. And anyone who's in Christ gets chosen. Because here, here's, a, and, and I'll develop this maybe in, in another sermon in Ephesians. But here's what you need to understand, because when you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, you'll find this terminology a lot. In Christ, in Christ. If you, just, if you just do a search on those two words in the Bible, in Christ, you'll find it all over the place. And, and you find this, that in the Bible there's this teaching. I actually made a video about it not too long ago. But in the Bible there's this teaching, and, and you actually find it in Hebrews, where the Bible says that the Levitical priests, they were still in the loins of Abraham. They were in Abraham. Abraham had, had, yeah, had children. And that they paid tithes in Abraham when Abraham met Melchizedek, by the way, and he tithed to Melchizedek. And the Bible teaches this concept that you say, well, the Levitical priest didn't tithe. Because Paul, I believe is Paul in Hebrews, is making this argument that the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the priesthood of, 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 of the Levites, of Aaron. And he says, look, the Levites tithed to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And, and, and they would ask the question, well, how in the world did the Levitical priest tithe to Melchizedek? And they'll say, and, and he says, preemptively, to answer the question before they ask it, he says, well, when they were in Abraham, when they were yet in the loins of Abraham, 
Abraham tithed, and therefore they tithe. Because here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you are in someone and you are in something, what's true of that individual is true of you. So when Abraham tithed, the Levitical priests who were yet in his loins, they tithe because they were in Abraham. And when you follow that thought through, you realize this is what the Bible teaches. Why is it that we are condemned to hell? Wherefore, as by one man, right? Sin entered into the world and death by sin. You say, well, I didn't sin with Adam, but here's the thing. You and I were in Adam when Adam sinned. And what became true of Adam became true of us. We got the sin nature. It's not original sin. We're not going to go to hell for Adam's sin. Everybody goes to hell for their own sin. But what became true of Adam, sinner, what became true of Adam, condemned, what became true of Adam, unable to save himself, became true of us because we were in Adam. And when you got saved, you got plucked out, you got taken out, you're no longer in Adam, you got placed in Christ. And what was true of Christ now becomes true of you. That's why you're a saint. That's why you're predestinated. That's why you're chosen. That's why you're elect. It's not because you're better than anybody else. It's about Christ. It's always been about Christ. Notice our position in Christ. Why do we get to be in Christ? Ephesians 1, look at verse 7. Notice what he says. He says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Remember, Jesus said, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Why, why do you and I get to be in Christ? Because I live such a good life. Because I'm such a good person. Because I follow the Ten Commandments. Because I go to church. No, look, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Amen. Why are we saved? Because Christ paid for our sins, period. That's the only way anybody can be saved. Amen. Go to Hebrews 9. Go back to Hebrews 9 if you would. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 14. Notice, notice, and this is developed, this is developed throughout the entire New Testament. Hebrews 9 and verse 14, notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 9, 14 says, says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, because again, remember in Hebrews you've got this dichotomy, you go back and forth. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than the priesthood. Christ is better than the angels. Christ is better. Here he's telling us how the sacrifice of Christ was better than the sacrifice of bulls and of goats of the Old Testament. Notice verse 15, uh, excuse me, verse 14. He says, how much more? Because he just got done telling us that the blood of goats and bulls, they, they're, they're, they're not able to atone for sin. They're not able to forgive for, uh, make an atonement for sin. Uh, notice verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Man, I wish I had the time to develop all this. Say, so how, how is it that Jesus paid for an eternity of sin by being three days in hell? Well, it's because he's eternal. And through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Notice verse 15. For this cause. For what cause? Because of the blood of Christ, he is the mediator of a new testament that by means of death, 
for the redemption of the transgression that were under the first testament. Notice, they are called, uh, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And here's all I'm trying to show you, and here's all Paul is, is showing, and he's saying this, that in our position in Christ, we're predestinated in Christ, and in our position in Christ, not only are we saved, but we have received an inheritance. And it's an eternal inheritance. That we might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Go back to Ephesians 1. Notice verse 8. Ephesians 1 and verse 8, the Bible says this, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Notice what he said. I love, these, I love this wording. Sometimes Paul, Paul you know, he's, he's, he's a deep writer, and, and, and sometimes you really have to dissect all the words. But he's, I love how he words this. He says, that in the, the, he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and dispensation is they love, you know, they love this, Dispensations. Like, okay, well, just because the word is there doesn't mean you can take it out of context and create a whole, you know, story behind it. And and dispensations, they love to tell stories. They talk about angels that are a thousand feet tall, and you know, they're impregnating women and all sorts of craziness. That's not in the Bible. But he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that's what he says. He might gather together in one all things. He's saying, look, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he says, when time is over, when time is over and God is getting ready to get, he's going to gather together in one all things. How's he going to gather them? In Christ. Do you understand that? No one goes to heaven based on their own merit. No one gets in by who uh, they were related to or how good they were. If you get gathered together, doesn't that sound like the rapture? If you get gathered together in one, all things notice in Christ. And you say, what, do you mean, what, do you, what does he mean he's going to gather together? He says this, look, both which are in heaven, because there's some saints in heaven right now, right? And which are on earth, because there's some saints that are on earth right now. And he's going to gather both together in one, in Christ. Notice, even in him. Even in who? In Christ. Look, it's all about Christ. It's never about you, it's never about me, it's never about anyone but Christ. And by the way, these are Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. How do Old Testament saints get uh, get saved? In Christ. He's going to gather all in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestinated. Oh, I, I was predestinated. You're predestinated in Christ. And you get an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And he, and he talked about this in verse 3. Notice what he said in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us, notice, with all spiritual blessings. With all spiritual blessings. You say, Pastor, you're about to turn into a prosperity preacher, health and wealth. He's given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Because here's what he says, and here's what we're going to talk about next week, because, uh, you know, it's already late, and, and we've got to uh, get to the pie. But um, go, go to First Peter just real quickly, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, let me just show you one more thing, and we'll finish up here. We got to verse 11. We'll finish the rest of it uh, uh, next week. But here's what I want you to understand. 
And in case you say, I don't know, Paul's a little wordy sometimes and I didn't really get it all. You know, here's what you need to understand. Okay, here's the whole point. God the Father chose God the Son from the foundation of the world. And God the Father made a deal with God the Son, and the deal was this. Anyone that's in you will be accepted into the beloved. You are my son, and anyone in you I will adopt. And I will, what, become, what is true of you will become true of them. And then Jesus came to this earth, and he said, anyone who wants to can be saved. Whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. He says that anyone who wants to can accept it. But you have to be in Christ. You can't be in you. You can't be in your religion. You can't be in the good things you do. He says, if you're in Christ. And then here's what the Father says. The Father says, if you're in Christ, not only did I predestinate you for heaven, because one day I'm going to gather together those which are in heaven and those which are on earth, and I'm going to put them together in Christ. He said, I've also predestinated you to have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. And he says, I've promised you an inheritance. Are you there in 1 Peter 1? Look at verse 1. 1 Peter 1, 1, the Bible says, it's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Notice verse 2. This is another one, Calvinist love. Elect. Oh, we are Elect. What does it mean to be elect? You're chosen, right? When we have an election, we choose a president. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. See, and that's what Calvinists will say. I was elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Yeah, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling, notice, of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's always about Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Notice, blessed be, does this sound like Ephesians? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How will we be gotten again? Unto a lively hope. Was it because of my baptism? Was it because of my catechism? Was it because of my good life? Was it because I used to drink alcohol and now I don't? I used to be on drugs and now I don't. I used to do bad things and now I don't. No, look, the only way anybody ever gets saved is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead, verse 4, notice, notice, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And here's what he says, and I don't, I don't know about you, I've never received an inheritance, like a physical inheritance. I've never had, you know, like a rich uncle, um, you know, die and leave us money. My, I, I don't even have a rich uncle, too, <laughs> you know, but um, my, my wife has a rich uncle, and, and he hates us, so I don't, you know... He doesn't like our teaching on reverate doctrine, so that, that, that dream went out the window. Every once in a while, uh, you know, I'll go check the mail, and my wife and I will have kind of this joke where it's like, you know, I'm going through the bills, and she's like, oh, did we get our million-dollar check? And I'm like, no, not today, you know. And it's just kind of this joke, and it's whatever. But here, here's the point. In this life, you may have a lot of trials and tribulations. You may go through a lot of heartache, and you may never have an inheritance. But the Bible tells us that God has predestined you for an inheritance. He says an inheritance that fadeth not away. He says in an incorruptible, undefiled, reserved, waiting for you in heaven. He's chosen you. He's elected you. He's loved you. He's accepted you. 
Not because of you, but because you're in Christ. And everything, everything that's true of Christ became true of us when we called upon him for salvation. And next week we'll continue to look through this and we'll look at not only the position of the Father and the performance of the Son, but next week we'll talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit as we finish up Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and we, we do the, the last 12 verses. But I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. We just started a book of the Bible. You're here. I want to encourage you to stay with us every week and on Wednesday night as we study the book of Ephesians together and we learn these doctrinal truths that the Apostle Paul has for us. Let's bow here tonight. We're prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the book of Ephesians, Lord, and just even these 11 verses and just how... how uh, uh, we can be encouraged by them.